and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Welcome to True Crime on Easy Street. I'm Kelly Turner, not a doctor. You're not a doctor. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) I'm a mediocre journalist. My name is Scott Wright. And I'm Katie Givens, and I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) We are True Crime on Easy Street. We're coming to you from Easy Street Restaurant Bar Performance Hall. Our wonderful, lovely sponsor. We'll get to them later. Coolest place in town, though. Really? I think so. Re- I mean, I'm partial. I love it. They pay I know me you're to partial. say that, but I think yeah. it's the coolest place in No, we have a great time there. They don't pay me there. well to say it, but they pay <laughs> me to say it. We have a great time there. We love it there. we got a live show there tomorrow night, but mm-hmm. by the time you hear this, it will have, will been, have been yesterday. Yeah. So Breaking we're not that live. Fourth we're wall. live on tape. We're live on tape. We're working on that schedule and how it all works out. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. I like it. We'll, we'll get there. It'll be a surprise this way. We will get there. So thank you for tuning in last week for the Judith Ann Neely case. And we, uh, Scott, we were at a party this weekend. We were. And we had someone come up to us and they were like, man, that was a crazy story. And we were like, they're only going to get crazier. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I, I know who it was. It was our friend Daniel who yes. had li- had said that he'd listen to it and he was looking forward to it. And I think maybe he even has something that he can contribute to a future show. We told him, we gave him a tease that we're not going to give you guys yet, at least not no. right now. Secrets. But we know what's coming. And Daniel actually is found himself involved in that peripherally, just a little bit. We are excited about that. I, we also I have want another, to hear what he has to say about it. Me too. Yeah. We also have another friend, Stacy, who has. We do. A, oh, yeah, Stacey. <laughs> we have two friends. Yes, that's right. Uh, and she wants to be involved in one that she knows a good bit about. So we're excited to collaborate with some folks coming soon this it's, season. This week, we have a new case. This case, as I understand it, has a little bite to it. Ooh, oh, that really? teaser God. from Instagram. Easy joke and you just went for it, didn't you? Wow. Easy Our listener out. is laughing. Uh, they both are. Pretty sure we have two at this point. So tell us a little bit about... The case this week. What are we do? What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a case that happened. In, another case that happened locally. It happened in Sand Mountain, which, if you don't know where we are in Northeast Alabama, it's probably uh, twenty miles away. This is specific location in Scottsboro, from where we are in Center Alabama. C E N T R E. Don't get it wrong, like everyone else does. Probably just a little more than twenty miles, but yes. All right. Um, but yes, I like the C E N T R E because we're that fancy. Yes, we, we have the English spelling. Fancy stuff here. Um, so this case involves a a pastor back in the it was 1991 when all of this took place, October of 1991, and it was a case where the man was accused of trying to kill his wife with the snakes that he used in his church, the Church of Jesus with signs following. Did I get that right? Kelly? That is correct. Really? Well, I've read it two ways. I've read the Church of Jesus with signs following, mm-hmm. and I've read it the Church of God with signs following. However, the church that exists there today has does not have either name as I am reading this and researching this. So at this time, though, it was the Church of Jesus with signs following. It's based on the scripture that you heard at the beginning. Right. 
uh, John 16. Yes, Mark chapter 16, verse Mark. 17 18. Yes. We also have readings from Luke mm-hmm. uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Mm-hmm. They also use the book of Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6 as, I guess, what would be the word? It there, it's their theology. It's the way for right. their practice and their it's, it's their interpretation Correct. of those, to them, significant verses in the Bible that lead them, they think, the, the clearest, straightest path to um, life after death. Correct. And all of those books are found in the New Testament of the Bible, which is the second part of the Bible. If you have a copy of the Holy Bible, you have the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And those books that we just mentioned and that we read at the beginning of this podcast are located in the New Testament. So this is, this is their scripture that they use. Um, okay, go ahead, Scott. Well, you just reminded me of something that I found when I was reading through this book about the case today. And it's just a short paragraph. And it's an interview with someone who worked, or, or I keep saying working, someone who worshipped uh, at this church uh, at the time this was all going on. And it, I thought it was a really succinct explanation of exactly what was going through the mind of people who exhibited their religion by handling live rattlesnakes. So it's really short. Let me read it. Okay, we go can, ahead. We can always cut it out if it no, sucks, no, right? No, no, go ahead. Um, and this is from, a, from a, a member of the church who knew Glenn Summerford and Darlene Summerford and was interviewed for this book because he had some inside information about the workings of the church. And so here's what he says briefly. A lot of people are against handling serpents, but when that anointing is there, it's real. When you get bit, it's when you do it without being anointed. One day I was at church and the Lord told me to grab the snake. And then the Lord said to me, but don't take it from Glenn, referring to Glenn Summerford. And he said that was because I had more faith in Glenn than I did in the Lord, and the Lord knew that. And he knew that I wouldn't take it from anyone's hand other than Glenn. But I made Glenn lay the snake down in the chair, and then I picked it up. Because if I hadn't done what God said, I would have been bitten. So I had to do what God said, even though I didn't think that was the right thing to do. So that's... Wow. Uh, just a brief glimpse inside the mind of the people who interpret the Bible the way that we've discussed. And What book is that from? This is a book called The Serpent and the Spirit. It's the Glenn Summerford story. It's written by Thomas Burton, 2004, uh, the University of Tennessee, Knoxville Press. And I, I just got it two days ago, and I breezed through. It's hard to explain how that book is written. It's not written as a narrative. It's a, it's a summary of interviews with people who were involved in the case, either uh, Doris Summerford's interviewed, Glenn Summerford himself is in, interviewed multiple times, uh, children that are members of the family, of the Summerford family, there are people who go to church there, like the caption or the, uh, uh, the quote I just read. So there's a, a lot of really good information that you don't get when you watch the 24-minute YouTube reenactment from Animal Planet that I watched earlier today, which was just terrible. Just basic facts were, were gotten wrong. Did you say Animal Planet? It was on Animal Planet. It was a YouTube video that had the Animal Planet logo. I know I did. I made the same face you're making right now. Animal Planet does documentaries. They did at this time. Wow, maybe fifteen know that. years old. Okay, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm but it was 24 shocked. minutes long, and I watched it, and I thought, wow, this is terrible. <laughs> so I was glad that I had some other source of information uh, to bring to the podcast. But 
that's the way these people think. And that's the way Glenn Summerford thought. And that's the way that Darlene Summerford thought. And they, there were a lot of aspects of their lives that weren't holy, but they felt like if they drifted off the path, if uh, what's the term that I'm looking for that when somebody, uh, when you backslide, when you backslide, mm-hmm. uh, when you backslide, uh, it, you can always get right with the Lord again. You just have to go through the process again and, and, and get right with the Lord and be rebaptized, and then you can go and handle snakes again and have every certainty that you will not be bitten. But the way they believe is if you get bitten, then you did something wrong, that you're not right with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, and what it, did it say anything about the practice once you get bitten? Is, is there something that you do? Well, they certainly don't believe in medical attention. They've, I've, I've seen videos from those uh, documentaries and the, the Alabama snake video that's on HBO right now, and they don't believe that it's necessary uh, to, to seek medical attention. They think that the Lord will take care of you. And so you, you sit there, or in the case of Glenn Summerford, one time he got bitten by two snakes in one night, a copperhead and a diamondback rattler in the same night, and they took him home, and he, he spent four days on the floor with the entire congregation taking turns, taking care of him, and all of them thinking he was going to die at any moment. But he didn't, and that just reaffirmed that congregation's faith in him uh, that he was the person that they should be listening to, and that just made him that more of a uh, of the pastor that they followed at the Church of Jesus with signs following. And that is that that's powerful when you believe, and, and the narrative that you read is very powerful to to hear that from a member of the congregation. It gives you direct insight into the the mindset, the human condition that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. why. So many of his congregation, uh, you know, from the documentary Alabama Snake on sure. HBO, mm-hmm. were still in support. Still to this of day, it's not hard to find somebody that thinks he didn't do it, and the two of you don't have to look very far to find someone who thinks he didn't do it. <laughs> we are brought to you by <laughs> Easy Street Restaurant, Bar, and Performance Hall. So, what do you drink when you go there? Uh, usually it's something with vodka in it, uh, depending on who, uh, the bartender is. If I'm the bartender, I usually forget to pour the liquor into the drink. That's why I'm not a very good bartender and they only let me bartend from 11 to 12 on Saturdays. I would be so mad at you if I just got a glass of tonic water. I've done it to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I love, they have a, they have a mango beer. I'm not much of a beer guy. Mango cart. I love it. I'm more of the bottom shelf on the liquor cabinet kind of guy. If I'm pouring, I don't forget the liquor. I'm a tequila soda kind of person. Well, you can, I mean, if, oh. if you've got a bottle of tequila in your hand, you can smell it. So there's no forgetting to pour tequila. There's no forgetting the tequila. <laughs> right, right. So on Easy Street, uh-huh. when you've arrived, yes. what do you there, Scott. Oh, gosh. Usually it's something uh, on the burgers menu. I really like the sliders, which is sort of a gourmet crystal burger. It's the, the onions and the pickles and the mustard on the little square buns, but it's a really, it's a nice handmade piece of, of beef that comes on all three of the burgers and you get waffle fries. The nothing, salads are delicious. Nothing goes better with alcohol than some sort of fancy version of a crystal. Or, <laughs> yes. I mean, if you can find one, that's great. I've settled for the regular old crystal burger many times. I love the Philly. Oh, yeah, the Philly. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very good sandwich. Yes, and I love all the, the salads and the fish. Mm-hmm. Salad. I get, oh. si- I get side eye for that. And- so, thank you so much, Easy Street. We are so excited to be partnering with you for this. And you give us the stage to 
nights month. It's so awesome for us to be able to do our live podcast there. And we get to meet with some folks who love true crime the way that we do. And hopefully don't throw tomatoes. And now back to the show. Okay, so I do like getting that insight from the congregation. And it, it helps you to approach this the appropriate way to understand a group of people you must approach them with humility and respect and this is how we definitely wanted to handle this case i think it's easy to make fun of this case and i think a lot of the media that covered this case in the 90s the new york times covered this case uh, this case made appearances on sally jesse Raphael, which was a syndicated uh, afternoon talk show at at the time that basically made fun of different of people from different areas of the country. I think it was, it reinforced a lot of people's beliefs in other parts of the country that this is what everybody in Alabama must be like. You, we must all go to church and handle snakes and jump up and down and uh, do things in an unorthodox manner on Sundays. That's just the impression that a lot of people have. And this story reinforced it. And I think that's why it became a case that was, they received nationwide attention for months. Right, and we are not... Because of the novelty of it. Correct. And because we're from this area, we're not going to approach it the same way. Not at all. Because we we live in this area. Yeah. And, you know, we... we I know somebody only who's recently, been to that church. Well, right. We only recently uh, got indoor plumbing. However, we are, uh, <laughs> we are pretty, pretty high-tech now. So, Scott, using mm. our high-tech equipment here, let's continue the story. All right. So, uh, where did I get to? So, the story is about this this incident that happened in October of 1991, and you'd have to go back a little bit and learn a, a little bit about both of these people. Glenn and Darlene Summerford, uh, it was his second marriage, I think her first as well, or her second as well. Uh, they'd been married for a while. When when Glenn Summerford was a younger man, he'd gotten into a lot of trouble as a as a as a young boy, he learned to fight from his father, his stepfather, actually, uh, who was, had been in the Special Forces in the Army. Uh, he spent a lot of his time as a youth getting involved in fights and being a ruffian. And at one point in his, in his late teen years, in 18, 19, 20, he spent time actually, I don't know if you would call it the fighting circuit, but he went to New York City and Chicago and fought other people illegally for money. And really got to be someone who had a reputation as being someone that you didn't mess with. He'd, he'd gotten into trouble with the law several times. Uh, he'd gotten into enough trouble that he had a couple of felonies on his record when he was accused of what he did, uh, accused of what he was accused of doing to uh, Darlene Summerford. So he, at some point, he found the Lord. Uh, he became someone who felt led to handle serpents. And he started a church. It was, he'd just gotten into a big fight with some friends of his, and they asked him to come and pray with him. And he said that the Lord reached out to him and spoke to him and told him that this was something that he had been called to do. And by accounts of family members of his that I've read since we've started uh, researching this, for a long time he had found the Lord, and he didn't do the things that he used to do anymore. He didn't fight. He didn't. Uh, well, there's some uh, uncertainty about whether or not he still drank. And it depends on who you ask. Darlene says he did. He says he didn't. Uh, but for a long time, he led a good life. And I think it, at some point, like happens in a lot of marriages, this one just started to wilt on the vine a little bit. And because of the lives they lived and the, the way they led their lives, there weren't a lot of options for them to separate from each other. If Darlene had already lost a child to the foster care system because she'd been in trouble with the law as a young person. 
many times. Uh, bad checks. Uh, there were some allegations of prostitution at some point. I mean, she wasn't a very good soul either, if we're going to stick to the, the biblical, uh, biblical line here. But it just was a situation where they both wanted out of it, but they were both involved in their religion enough, at least Glenn was, that he didn't want to get a divorce for any reason other than adultery. So if he could prove that she had slept with someone else, and that was a common refrain amongst the people at this church at the time, that she was uh, a little promiscuous. Um, but Glenn always in the end trusted in the Lord to, to lead him the right way, so he, he didn't fight anymore, and he didn't uh, beat up anyone who was accused of sleeping with his wife anymore like he might have in earlier years. He relied on the Lord to give everybody the forgiveness that they asked for if they chose to. That, at least that's his story about what happened that weekend because what Darlene says happened that weekend is that he beat her up because she admitted to having slept with some other congregants of the church and he intended to kill her because of what she had told him. And so he held a gun to her head and forced her to go out to the shed behind their house and stick her hand in a box full of rattlesnakes and be bitten. And it was only because she was able to, again, this is her account, get him drunk on vodka and have him pass out on the couch that she was able to call an ambulance and escape from that situation. And they really didn't, they never saw each other again after that, uh, except in court. So that's, that's the, the disparate stories from the two of them about what happened that night. Okay. Then we have the ambulance shows up. That's where the kind of where the documentary from HBO begins is yeah. there the ambulance is picking her up as she's struggling to make it down the road and they're able to eventually they have to take her to Birmingham. Is right. that correct? Yeah. Get- she starts out in a hos- uh, uh, hospital in Scottsboro and there's no anti venom uh at that hospital, so they by ambulance, transport her to UAB Hospital in Birmingham, which if you're not from Alabama, that's, if you, if you get sent to UAB, that's the best place we have here in, Bur- in Alabama to send you. You, you have a serious problem if, you have, if you're on your second hospital and it's to UAB. So, yeah, she went there. And they were able to save her life there. They were, yes and no. I mean, there is some dispute about how much danger her life was really in. I mean, there are people who were there in the hospital with her that night who will say that she was sitting up in the, in the bed and laughing about the entire thing. Um, wow. It's, it, it just depends on which member of the Summerford family you ask or the extended wow. Summerford family. Okay. So. Okay. Well, um, I'm just. But I'm, yes, she made it. Okay. Yeah. I'm also going on the documentary and the EMTs from the. In their interview in mm-hmm. the documentary, right. and they say she was in bad shape. They, they do, and and you know, you're certainly inclined to believe a third party observer who has no dog in the fight. And the first two people who saw her thought, "Wow, this woman's in big danger. She's her hands all swollen up. She's obviously scuffed up from crawling down her driveway because she couldn't walk." So that makes her story believable just because of the ambulance drivers and and their testimony or their recount uh, accounting of what happened um just there's you know at the end of it there's no way to know what happened that night because the only two people were there tell completely different stories about what happened and the jury believed one and not the other and that's always tricky right when you're when you're dealing with a case and when you're talking about a case that is always a tricky part so 
You mentioned they did not see each other again until they were in court. Yeah. Correct? That's right. That's the way I understand it. Yes. Katie, tell us about the trial. Well, there's not a whole lot to talk about with the trial because it lasted a total of two and a half days. Uh, I'm sorry, two and a half days? That's pretty fast, even in Alabama. Yes. All right. I'm with you. So, you know, this crime took place on October 4th, 1991, and Glenn Summerford was arrested for attempted murder. So fast forward, we're in February of 1992 when the trial actually takes place. And two and a half days later, he is <laughs> convicted of attempted yeah. murder. With Wow. Yes. How long did the jury, was there a jury? There was. There was a jury. Okay. Did they It was. It was, you know, it was like a. Is that what that's called? It was a two days of trial a half a day of jury deliberation i think is how yeah, it, it was, the it time frame hours. yeah the time frame broke okay, down i was trying to find gotcha six hours. and as scott mentioned earlier uh since glenn had two prior felonies alabama is a habitual fin- a habitual offender state which means three strikes you're out so on his third felony he was automatically sentenced to 99 years in prison so off he goes um his congregation like i said you know, still to this day, didn't think he should to have been a person. convicted. Yes. Just about. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who thinks, yeah, that guy. But the ones they show on television, mm-hmm. they don't think he did it. Like I said, the defense had uh, one good witness. Well, obviously not too good. Her name was Tammy Flippo. <laughs> she <laughs> testified. good enough. <laughs> yeah, she testified to the opposite story, which was that Darlene was bit trying to bring the snake to glenn to bite him yeah because he's passed out on the couch because of all the vodka she gave him yes passed out on the couch and says that you know darlene was bringing the snake to him to bite him to try to kill him and got bit in the process but there also came to light during the trial that there seemed to be a relationship between miss flippo and glenn summerford People had seen there her. Some indication of that in the information that I've read. People had right. seen her yeah. staying the night at the house, not going home for several days. So to her husband, yes. Let that let's make. Be clear so she, she was uh, not single at the time. She was not a very credible witness on most accounts. So she's easily picked apart. Exactly. Yes. So he, like I said, is sentenced to attempt. He is sentenced to ninety nine years. And funny story is about 11 years into that, he is on work detail and he tries to escape. He's gone for about 45 minutes. They found him in a dumpster. Yeah. He sentenced to 30 more years. So he, you know. That sounds like just the opportunity suddenly presented itself and he thought, hey, I'll make a run for it because I can't imagine that his escape plan, if he'd had a second to think about it, would have been hide in a dumpster. Yeah. 45 45 whole minutes on the lamb, but. 30 more years. And he got a, uh, that was in March of whatever year that was, 2003, 2003, 2004. And in May of that year, he finally got a parole hearing. Guess how that went? I'm going to say he did not. Two get months parole. after his escape attempt. And you know what? Who knows? He might've had a shot. The but, fact that they still gave the him escape. the hearing after the escape attempt is Well, I don't amazing. know how long it lasted. That may have been a very quickly open and closed meeting, but yeah. So he tries to escape. He's quickly brought back. He's given almost uh, or just a little over a year per minute um, as a, uh, as, as a <laughs> correct. Wow, I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way before, but yeah. Yeah. And so then what happens? 
Yes, Mr. Summerford, he is still in prison to this day. He actually has dementia now, so he's not actively attempting to get any parole hearings at this time. So but they, they've went all this time still holding on to their two separate stories. Yeah, and, and I guess it doesn't matter anymore. We're, we're crying over spilt milk. Even if he was released tomorrow, he wouldn't be the same person that he was. He'd be released to a nursing home. Right. Probably. It also makes sense why there's not been a lot of interviews with him with documentaries or, or books. Yeah, or, the most recent information I have interviews with Glenn Summerford are 15 years old. So. Correct. Exactly. I think his mental health has been declining for a while. So we have two people. We have two different stories of what happened that night. And we know how the courts voted. Right. They, exactly. They Unanimous. pretty much sent, sent him in. And I think that probably had a lot to do with his previous crimes. They were very violent. Absolutely. And he was deemed a pretty violent man in his past. Well, is that right, Scott? You're well, kind of looking at me like, mm, I, don't think so. I didn't know this until two hours ago. I was, I was reading through the last pages of this book. It turns out, you know, if you watch the Alabama Snake documentary, it seems like they tell the story about he, him uh, beating up one fellow so bad that his eye came out of his head. That wasn't what he was sentenced for earlier in his life. There were two convictions that he had. One was for stealing a, a boat. And his version of the story is that that the guy they borrowed the boat from, he and his teenage buddies, the guy gave them permission to borrow it and then got drunk and forgot that he told them that they could borrow it. And the second one was for an incident where he uh, went over to a lady's house to buy some moonshine. Again, as a young man, 18, 19, 20 years old, and he, she wasn't home, so they went in and got the moonshine and left. And I don't know how you get convicted for stealing something that is illegal to have in the beginning, but... According to Glenn Summerford's version of the story, those were the two things that they wadded up into a ball and accused him of having committed two felonies earlier in his life that they used to pin the habitual offender law on him. And there's no contradiction in this book, and this is a one-sided book. I'm not saying those are the facts. I'm saying that's Glenn Summerford's version of the story that I read earlier today. Okay, because it was my understanding that his previous convictions were very violent. And, you know, I did research and tried to find what his previous convictions were on, and I couldn't find specifics on his previous felonies. Again, his version of the facts. So So the courts were just going on the fact that it was was a felony. Right. They were both felonies. Yes, that is all it states in, in this case is that he had two prior felonies. And you can clearly see that this court had its mind made up about him when he walked in from just the fact of the case or the trial lasted as long as it did. And one of the interviews in this book is from a local journalist and I forget which local paper it was from. And it's a short one, but he basically says what Katie just said. They knew how this was going to go. The, the, the defense attorney and the judge and the prosecuting attorney would go into a room and they would talk for 30 minutes and they would come out and then a bunch of motions would get denied. And I'm paraphrasing, but basically his argument was he was railroaded. Glenn Summerford was railroaded because they wanted to get rid of him because they didn't want snake handling churches in Scottsboro. I was going yes. to ask that. <clears throat> Do we think that yes. there was a, it was because of his religious practice? Yeah. And they just used the fact that he'd had those two prior felonies and he'd lived in the same place his whole life. Everybody knew everybody. The cops knew each other. It's, it's kind of like our little small town, except no snake handling churches that I'm aware of. But same thing. Everybody knows everybody. This was just one of the guys that, 
most of them felt like or always remembered as having been a troublemaker, despite I don't know how much they believe this whole, ah, you found religion, you're a good person now. I remember what you were like for the first 20 years of your life. I'll believe it when I see it. So when they had a chance to put him under the jail, they took it. That's what this journalist said. Well, we do know some denominations of Christianity can be very judgmental of other denominations and their practices. That's true. Do we know if there was any issues that Glenn Summerford had with anyone related to the courts? Uh, Yeah, there's actually one. uh, His defense attorney, to hear, again, to hear Glenn Summerford tell it in this book today, his defense attorney, the guy's last name was Lackey, L-A-C-K-E-Y. That's what I remember. And when he was a young man, he lived next door to Darlene, and they dated as teenagers. Do, do I don't think, think that ever was... got brought up in any le- – okay. I mean, you can't do anything in the court system with that, but I think that Glenn Summerford said that to imply that I always felt like I wasn't getting a fair shake from this guy because he knew Darlene when they were kids. That was the only implication that was really clearly made, but, you know. Okay. Does that, I mean, that's sort of an well, answer to your question. Put, that's it, the closest one there is. It, it makes an eyebrow raise. Yeah. For sure. Both of mine. <laughs> of course, when you get in a town like ours in Scottsboro's, I mean, if you're from there, you knew someone as a kid. That's, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How, you know, how, how, how much does that really play into it? But that's always something that you could, you could wave in the air and say, hey, I didn't really do it. And this is why they railroaded me. But there were people who thought that certainly the congregation, this journalist who was quoted in the book and, Obviously, the man who has spent the last, what, 30, 40, 30 years of his life in prison. Yeah. 29. Right. I rounded up. <laughs> <laughs> I just know because this was the year before I was born, and I am not 30 ah, yet. Ah, okay. There we go. All right. The youngster again. The, she could probably get it down <laughs> to the day if we asked her. <laughs> so, Katie, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. Um, we know that certainly when this trial happened and leading up to it, that it was not illegal to handle poisonous snakes in the state of Alabama. I know there are some states who have outlawed this. The practice still occurs in the churches because I've been able to do a quick Google right. and find them to this day, even found some of them on Facebook. Is it illegal in the state of Alabama? Yes. So really cu- currently it is illegal. You are not, it's, it's illegal to have the snakes. To have them in your possession. Yes. Poisonous like, snakes. yes, you're, uh, it has to, yeah, it has to do with, um, with, with that, with, owning the animals themselves. It doesn't really have to do with the religious practice. But well, well, they had to find a way around that because if you say you can't be a church that handles snakes, then you violate someone's First Amendment rights, right? So you've got to make it illegal right. to own Well, it, it's, and it has to do with the selling and, and like the distribution of the illegal snakes. So I guess your workaround could be, I found this in the yard. Right. Well, we have a lot of poisonous snakes here in the state yeah. of Alabama. Maybe an exotic animals kind of thing where you, you, you also can't have a live tiger in your backyard, I'm assuming, although in... I don't think well, exotic, I, though. yeah, well, no. I, it would be open to interpretation, right? If you wanted to pass the law and and try to avert any First Amendment conflicts, maybe you say exotic animal. But again, Kate, like Katie said, hell, I'm, I'm sure there's a live rattlesnake in my backyard right now. We have I hope a lot I don't of find it. we have a lot of rattlesnakes. Yeah. We have copperheads. Mm-hmm. What else do we have? 
here in the state of Alabama. Oh, it was legal at the time that Correct. this at the time, but so they're not in two thousand one is when it because it was a restrict. It's a restricted species. Ah, permit there we go, restricted ha- species. Yeah. So they so found a way around the First permit. Amendment. Yes, like you remember, like the snake guy that always comes to yeah, the, they came to, now, the schools. Now, see, now we've got to explain that, guys. Oh, here in Cherokee County, and probably night. counties in this area, and I don't know where that guy was from, uh, but there used to be a guy who would come, and the, the entire school would assemble in the gymnasium, and this guy would uh, he would have big boxes, and he would bring out uh, rattlesnakes and boa constrictors, and and at the end, Katie, did you do this? Did you ever get to go down to the floor and hold the snake? Because yes. Oh, I was fighting for it. Kelly, did you? Yes, I, I did. never did. I never got to. But guys, what, for those of you who've never seen it, the last act of the night is he goes to this big box. And it's like, what, a 10, 15-foot boa constrictor? And it takes five or six guys, and he just pulls the head out. And he, here, you go with that. Keep going. It's like you're taking a couch through a narrow hallway. Here, You hold some, you hold some. And by the time you get finished, there's 15-foot of boa constrictor mm-hmm. being held by five students that and they're all just grossed out, or maybe they love it, or whatever. But anyway, that's the snake guy. Yes, that, and so that he Katie had was a special. Per, well, at the time, I guess he didn't have to have a special permit because when we were in elementary school, well, it still happened when I was in school too. Well, so, if, and that was after two thousand one when so all this after took, that he would have to have a special permit in order to have the poisonous snake. The year that I graduated from high snakes. school, he did not need. Yes, a permit. and see, <laughs> we know that Scott, <laughs> but. You know, same here. Same yeah. here. I think that I need to clarify a little bit because the actual, I think, statute says that you can't have poisonous snakes that are not native to uh, Alabama. Okay, so no uh, asps. And we have some native. Um, yeah. We have several yeah. in. So that's the workaround. Okay, so I guess it's not illegal to have a rattlesnake because again, I'm, there's got to be one around me somewhere. I mean, it, where I've I live. I've been interested in when you when you start talking about cases like this and watching documentaries and things. You never see PETA anywhere, right? Is it because it's a snake? Maybe. Do they care about snakes? I, Does anybody know? I, I'm not familiar. I don't know with PETA. I don't know anyone who's in the organization, but I would think the way that they're stored. If you're a PETA person and you're listening to today's help podcast, us understand. Help us understand this, please. Yeah. Seriously, have you guys? reached out or tried yeah. to what is look your, into this. What is your policy on poisonous snakes? Correct. Because they're kept in very small boxes. Yeah, they're animals too, right? hmm And, uh, I mean, I don't know all the conditions. I know what I've seen in videos. Boy, Again, if your husband listens to this podcast, he's really going to roll his eyes when he hears me say rattlesnakes are animals too. He is going to roll he his is, right? eyes <laughs> Hey, KT, sorry about that. <laughs> Tell me if he listens, or he'll let me know, I guess, right? He'll let you know. Okay, so we know now that it is illegal to have those, yet we still have the churches are around today. They're still active, still practicing their religion, practicing their what they feel like they're anointed to do. Right, to anointed those, is the, the word. word. And, and Can you give me a, a good one-sentence definition of anointed? Does that just mean that you feel empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, consumed by the Holy Spirit? Correct. Okay. It is when you are anointed by God, you're you're chosen. To, so when okay. he's talking about God telling him to do so this. So in these brief moments when he feels anointed to handle a snake and have no fear of being bitten or to drink strychnine or Katie what is something yes. they drink strychnine uh they they feel like they can touch people and heal them isn't that one of the things all of that we those read go those back, to those, verses, right? back to the verses back yes. to the verses at the beginning so when you feel like hands you've of healing it, 
when you, re- you you feel like you've received that anointing, you're not scared of a live rattlesnake. No, you don't think you think God's going to protect me from. No, it. and if you, as as you were reading the narrative, you you are this gentleman, and you right. feel this conversation with God happening, and you truly feel that God has commanded you to do this. Yeah. and he said it's it, a strong feeling. He said it in that passage, and Glenn Summerford says it at one point in the book. He said, "When God speaks to me, it's just like you're talking to me." So he they hear when they hear that. They hear a voice just like you hear my voice right now. Yes. I've never had that happen, but wow, what an experience that must be if you have had it happen. Uh, it must be. Yeah. And there have been several studies on what goes on. These churches have been looked at. Sociologists, psychologists have been fascinated with these churches for years. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they observe the services they talk with them they you know they're they're looking into this this behavior to try to understand the human condition as i stated earlier and psychology studies psychological studies have been conducted and looking at the way the brain operates when one is in the moment and feeling anointed by god and taking up the serpent and it is the same uh, reaction in your brain, it works on your reward pathway, which okay. is your dopamine, which is a chemical in your brain, which is a reward pathway. So it's like a roller coaster. It is the it is the part of your brain that tells you this is a good idea. We want to continue doing this. It reinforces you to continue the behavior, and these practices work on that very part of the brain. And so they've, they've, their studies and they've shown, you know, brain scans and things that are going right. on during that time. And it is a truly, it is an experience yeah. so that it's they like, are having. It's like chocolate. Or, yeah, chocolate or, works on or, that or, part or, of the Or vodka, as well. if you're so inclined. All right, Scott, I know you have been dying to tell us yeah. the entire time. I have. What do you really think about this case? Do you think... Glenn Summerford is telling the truth, or do you think Darlene Summerford is telling the truth? I think they're both telling their version of the truth, but at the end of the day, I think, and again, this is a biased opinion that I have. I haven't read the Darlene Summerford story. I have read the Glenn Summerford story, but I've seen uh, the documentary and done some other research. I don't think, nobody in Glenn Summerford's family thinks that he bore any ill will towards Darlene because of his religion. Despite all of the bad things that she had done, she'd slept around with other people who were in the same congregation. According to everybody in the family, Glenn would never, once he found the Lord, he would never not forgive her or them because that's just how deeply religious he was. And so the notion that he would try and kill her because she had slept around on him defies explanation or defies logic to his family and i'm just inclined he's never changed his story her story changed a lot we'll never know what happened whether he did it or not i don't think he should have spent the rest of his life in prison there are murderers who didn't spend as much time in prison as glenn summerford has what do you think kelly Mm. Yeah, Kelly. I can see your face. She's dying to tell us. No, I'm really, this is so hard for me. So my my thought process is this. Um, Duh. Okay. (sighs) Duh. 
I thought you were saying duck, duck, goose for a second. Duck, goose, no. No, I was not saying that. I'm just trying to get my thoughts together because this one is so confusing. Did he have proof of all of these affairs? Uh, Her own admission. She did admit to them. In front of other witnesses, including his own two sons, she admitted on several occasions. And they, they... their general explanation or their uh, rationale for her to do that was she was trying to get him to get into trouble, to get into a fight with one of the guys that she would accuse him or uh, admit to having slept with in front of him so that he would get in a fight, that he would lean back on his past and become violent again and get himself arrested, and then she could leave him. So she's, that all of that motivation is for her to be able to leave such, him. Yeah, and again, like you said, it's such a convoluted story. Mm-hmm. He says he would never divorce her for, uh, or he wanted to divorce her, but he would never hurt her for uh, her infidelity because it was all in the hands of the Lord to him. And she says, no, he's been trying to kill me for months. So it's just one of those he said, she says, and they believed her. Okay. Did she ever have any bruises, any scars, anything from, you know, alleged being beaten up, being abused? I don't think Glenn Summerford would ever have denied the fact that he slapped his wife around. Uh, in fact, he, I know that he admits it in the book that I read today, but uh, to hear him tell it, that was never anything that he did out of a sense of trying to inflict any long-term damage. That was just the way he dealt with his anger, and we all know that doesn't make it right, but this is in the 90s and 80s in rural Alabama, and things were different then, and and still are in some places. Had she asked for a divorce, and he had refused? She didn't want the divorce because... What's she going to do? Well, There's there's no life for her to go to in a divorce from him. but, But the way that Glenn Summerford could have made it right in his heart to divorce her would have been to accuse her of adultery. Which she had admitted. Which to she had admitted to, but she times. didn't want to receive the the. She didn't want the implications of that to rain down on her, which would have been that she would have been ostracized from the community, and she wouldn't have gotten custody of their twelve year old son Marty. Okay. She'd already lost one son to the foster care system, and if she got divorced again because she'd been accused of adultery, she she would lose a second son. Okay, so so just, she I had, had a reasons few. for not wanting a divorce. Okay. She needed him to go away but not through the legal system, and at least he, not through a divorce. He's not saying he wanted a divorce. He was not entertaining that. No, idea. he said, I'll divorce you, but I'm going to accuse you of adultery in the paperwork, and that means I'll get the boy. Okay. Right. Okay. Sorry, so I should have no, yeah, no, no. wrapped that's, that up a little no, bit No, that's better. good. I, I just had to I Those had to are the conflicting motivations answered. going on in that house that Saturday night when she says, he tried to kill me, and he says, what the hell happened? I've been passed out on the couch drunk all night. Okay. And I wake so, up and my wife's gone. Okay. So here, here's what I think. Are you guys, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those cases where uh, one day I'm thinking about it and I think, oh, he did it. He did it. I, I know what Assume. you mean. And then the other day I'm going, no, I think, I think maybe that story, it makes sense that she was bringing the snake to get it to bite him while he was passed out. Right. Uh, I, I honestly, I know this is maddening, and I've I've built up to to nothing. Um, yeah, I have no is, idea. Yeah. I have no idea who's well, who's innocent or who's guilty. There was guilty no here. cherry on the top of this Sunday. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not, Katie. Drum roll. Just kidding. <laughs> I can't. Do that. I um absolutely don't think he did it. 
All right. Oh, all right. Okay. And I don't. I can't oh, wow. I, when we watch, I watch the documentary with my husband, which I hate to admit is usually a really good judge of character, and it's probably his line of work that helps with that. The second he sat down, he didn't want to watch it. He hates watching all TV. I suggest he sat down and he said, "Oh, that got him. That that's not how that happened." Did he know the case? Not really. No. He just watched. He it watched and it a little bit, and an he, he he said, "That's that's." Yeah, her story kept changing how she said it he was like that's not how that happened because that's a clear-cut night for her to remember and there's obviously a different story Mm -hmm. and then i you know we went into it and i always want to take the opposite side of his right but the (laughs) more always fun in america (laughs) always fun but that is the more i looked into it and the more i researched it and the more i i feel that he didn't get a fair I won't say an unfair trial, but uh, he didn't. It, he didn't get a competent defense. I, can, I would say I can agree with that for sure. It based on what you guys have told me and you know my own research. Yeah, the, there's there's it, a sequence in the book where he talks about the fact that he had uh, a dozen witnesses, defense witnesses, in a room waiting for their turn to be called to testify in court. And Lackey, the attorney, said, no, we don't need any of these guys. It's fine. They're not going to send you to jail for 99 years. Well, I want to testify, Glenn Summerford said. Oh, no, that'd be a terrible idea. We don't want you to testify. And he got the worst possible sentence he could get. So it kind of makes the defense attorney look like he was incompetent because he had all these potential tools. Exactly. And he, uh, you know, he never had an appeal. He never had any kind of resentencing 99 years for attempted murder simply because of that three strike rule mm-hmm. and because he like, stole like scott, a boat and some moonshine when he was 18. like scott mentioned there are way worse offenders let's just say he did do it that have spent sure. a lot less time in prison yeah hell i've stolen a boat i brought um, it back though he's kidding <laughs> listener he's kidding <laughs> it was my uncle's so i brought it back <laughs> Statute of limitations. He can't do anything about this it. This story is wild and it is very confusing and we'll, we'll never really know mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And um, unfortunately, we'll never get to continue to hear Glenn's side because he's no longer able or yeah. capable of doing an interview. But he is still in prison and what, that's where he'll remain. Absolutely, yes. And that's either sad or it's justified and we don't know. Sometimes it's not clear cut. I know last week we were all in agreement on, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it was different last week. It really was, and that's okay. That that'll happen. <laughs> this is a this is a hard one to put your finger on. It's it really just kind of your. I can't. I can't. I've I gone can't back say and one forth. way or the other. I've gone back and forth three or four times. Ask me again tomorrow after the memory of this book that I finished reading today has faded, and I may go back to the other one. <laughs> this has been the second episode. Of true crime on Easy Street, guys. How do you feel after episode number two? I mean, we've gotten the bugs all worked out, and uh, you know, gotten the cooties shaken off. I think it's it's going to be easy peasy from here on out. Well, I think this was this was a a great second case. It's really wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It really highlights Appalachian culture, which I think is something people don't understand if you're, they're not from where mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and we wanted to do, when we all sat down and talked about this before we ever bought these microphones or got this table or these awesome chairs, um, we wanted to do something that was us. 
you know, this we wanted to stick to stories that were in the northeast part of Alabama, northwest Georgia, and kind of make it a show. It's it's easy to skip around the country. We could do the Kennedy assassination next week if we wanted to, but I think there's plenty of awesome material for a true crime podcast within a 50-mile radius of where we're sitting. I think I said the same thing last week, and I just think that we can stick with this for quite a while, and I'm excited to learn. I've, I'm learning things as we go, so I feel like a lot of our listeners will as well. Yes, I've, I've enjoyed all of the feedback. Thank you so much for listening to us and giving us that good feedback. We do take it to heart. And I would be interested in doing um, an update on this case of, you know, down the road. Yeah. And I would love to hear, Katie, what Shane defense would have been oh, of Glenn is. Summerford. Maybe it could I'd be love s- to get him in here and have him tell us what he would have done differently. We could always have a little two-minute update segment right at the end. Anything that we've already talked about, if there's something new or Shane wants to jump in, he's one of our sponsors, so if he wants to jump in and and blabber, we'll certainly, uh, I'll get up and let him sit here. He can use this microphone. Don't call him a sponsor just because he bought these microphones. Uh, he, okay. doesn't, he doesn't need that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, yeah, Shane. Yeah, like he needed that. <laughs> All right. Well, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. You can find us wherever you're listening right now. And tune back next week. We try to get these uploaded on Wednesdays. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, all the good social media platforms. We'll post some sneak peeks of what's coming up and where you can listen. Thank you for joining us. See Have you a next good time. week. Yeah, good week, everybody. <laughs>